Welcome to Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Curtis Birch, host and producer on News Radio 630 WLAP, the home of the Cats, right here in Lexington. And I'm Kyle Tucker of The Athletic, and together, Curtis and I are here every day, Monday through Friday, talking to Cats. If it's a big deal to the Big Blue Nation, you can hear it right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. This edition of the show, we will tell you why Kyle was hanging out with John Calipari's wife on Valentine's Day, and we're going to preview the Kentucky-Tennessee game. It's a pretty big matchup, you guys. Um, But let's start uh, with the Ellen Calipari story that you did for The Athletic, Kyle. I think you've gotten a lot of reaction to it. Uh, I'll let you give some of the details, however much you'd like to share, and then uh, um, I'm just curious about what kind of feedback you've gotten from people as well. Well, one thing I'd say is in the seven-ish hours it's been posted, it is already approaching the most uh, popular uh, UK basketball story on our site so far, so um, ever. So I think people like Ellen Calipari. Um, And, you know, I I just – the gist of it is I wanted to know about this Instagram account that is uh, taken off. She's over, I think, 19,000 followers already. Um, and she's very funny. She takes tons of shots at Cal, and I think we've talked about this already this week, but um, Cal discovering uh, discovering that she has this account um, just this week and, and not realizing, realizing that all this time she's been just crushing him on there. Uh, so I, I wanted to, to touch on that, and it just so happened that she was – you know, she's, I asked if she would be willing to talk, and she was available today, Valentine's Day of all days. And uh, she wanted to meet at this, uh, it's like a chocolate shop slash coffee slash hot chocolate place. It's really cool, uh, called Chocolate Holler in Lexington. And, uh, and so I tried to have some fun with the story. I mean, she was really great just talking about um, how she's kind of come out of her shell and why she's come out of her shell, shell recently and sort of embraced the spotlight. Uh, why she is always busting John Calipari's chops and and her children's uh, on social media now. Um, And it was fun. I mean, she told lots of stories about all the household chores that John Calipari can't or won't do. Um, But also it was a sweet story because, you know, she gives him a lot of grief, but uh, she's also his, you know, staunchest defenders. and, uh, And, you know, the thing that they has kept them married happily for 33 years, even though he doesn't do any chores is that they have this sort of sense of humor between them and they joke back and forth. They, that's how they kind of started their romance was kind of poking fun at each other, her about the, the tassels on his loafers as a little preppy pretty boy when she met him. And she was a small town girl from <laughs> Missouri who'd never seen anybody with tassels on their shoes. And, um, you know, she said his sense of humor is kind of what won her over. So uh, it was cool. It was just kind of a fun story. It was a different story. It had really nothing to do with basketball at all. But uh, I think it's resonated with people, certainly on Valentine's Day. And I think just in general, people really like Ellen Calipari, evidenced by how popular she's become on on Instagram, how fast. Um, and so I wanted to kind of touch on all those things. And it uh, seems like people are enjoying it. And now there is... Uh, continuance on this story. Have you seen the latest John Calipari tweets, Kyle? I don't know if there's been new ones, but I, I did see that he was... It, it's clear that he's been made aware of this story. Yeah. Um, 
because he's tweeted out about his what he's done for his sweetheart. On I'll, uh, I'll read them real quick, uh, and then um, we can comment. Because actually, then there was a, a follow-up post from Ellen on Instagram. And I like that there's kind of a battle back and forth on social media platforms. <laughs> Calipari rules Twitter, and Ellen w- rules Instagram. That's kind of funny to me. But Calipari said... I know I'm not romantic and truly do nothing in my home, but I did take my wife to a Valentine's Day dinner. She also got a very, very thoughtful card with chocolates. The dog got a hold of the card, though, so it's very nice but beat up. He then continued, I'm proud of my wife and how she is stepping outside of her comfort zone. She's a great mother, wife, and roommate. I like that he included the little dig. She calls him roommate on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah. And then here's where he might be in a little bit of trouble. He said, happy Valentine's Day, smellin'. And then he you, has a parenthesis, my secret nickname, who's funny now. I don't know if calling your wife smellin' is the best way to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he did. Wasn't done. He wasn't done with his... Uh, with his uh... Uh, his PR offensive about his romance. He then followed up with a picture of Ellen in downtown Lexington. She has a rose, and he said, not romantic, question mark? How about the rose spoiling the princess? And then this is where it got good, Kyle, because I don't know if you saw the latest Instagram post from Ellen Calipari, though. I did. (laughs) She said, basically took a picture of the tweets that John Calipari had, the picture of herself holding the rose, and then the picture. It's this this picture of, of John Calipari is utterly fantastic. He's on this phone, and you can tell. Like if you, I mean, what we've I think we've discovered is that John Calipari is like the typical dad of every you know family, pretty much. He thinks he's a little bit funnier than he is. He enjoys stupid jokes and those kind of things. And so he's holding yep. this phone, and in theory, probably either tweeting out this message or telling somebody to tweet out this message for him. And he's got this smile on his face like he's being so clever. And in in this little post on Instagram, Ellen Calipari said, well, this just is from Twitter. Fake news. Rumi tried to say the dog chewed that card I gave him. Not true. He tried to take credit for the rose. That came from my friend Jeff at Tony's. Pick of Rumi trying to be funny. Who's funny now? This back and forth is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I mean... I'm really pleased to have played a role in it continuing even more publicly because I, I believe this is now the first uh, sort of public uh, acknowledgement, at least on Twitter, social media acknowledgement from John Calipari about Ellen Calipari's social media stardom and then uh, and, and just a very open back and forth here. So the, I, I'm, I'm happy to have facilitated that. And uh, I think everybody is getting a pretty big kick out of it. Some of the comments in the story are funny. Uh, I know that Cal's daughters both liked it. I uh, messaged with them earlier. And, uh, uh, you know, I just just try to have a little fun. Try to do something a little different. Uh, there's, you know, a lot of stories. That's the, We talked about it before at The Athletic. And we try to write things that nobody else is writing. Give you something you can't get anywhere else. And I don't think anybody else took John Calipari's wife on a date on uh, Valentine's Day. Bought her a hot chocolate. I, I highly doubt it. If they did, <laughs> they didn't make it a public story. So, exactly. um, uh, coming up next, we will discuss: Is this Calipari 
Uh, never mind. I was going to make a joke about them being a distraction for the Tennessee prep, but we're just going to talk about <laughs> we're just going to talk about the Tennessee game because uh, it's, it's such a huge matchup, and we got to break a lot of aspects of it down. But first, I do want to tell you guys about the Financialist. The Financialist LLC is a locally owned provider of CFO caliber services to small businesses in Central Kentucky. Owner Rick Parsons has 25 years of experience helping business owners establish a solid accounting system and will work with you on helping maximize your profit potential. Uh, if you're just starting a small business, it's important to set up meetings like this because once you start to scale things, they can get kind of out of control quickly. And if you don't have the right systems in place, then you could be in for a long haul you know, with the IRS or somebody like that down the road. So you want to get things set up properly uh, when your business is still growing. And Rick is a great guy to talk to to do this. A lot of small businesses owners are excellent at producing products or services, but they need high-level accounting professional to help them understand their financial statements and how to get the most out of their business. You can call 859-296-9814 today to set up a complimentary meeting I really recommend doing it if you got a small business. That complimentary meeting isn't going to cost you anything, so you got nothing to lose. You are Locked On Kentucky, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. What matchup are you most interested? I think we started this, this same discussion on the LSU game, Kyle. What is the most interesting matchup to you in the K- Kentucky versus Tennessee? Well, I mean, I think kind of the obvious one is PJ versus uh, Grant Williams. The you know two of the probably two of the three. Uh, leading candidates for SEC Player of the Year. Grant Williams has been kind of the runaway guy most of the year, but P.J. is coming on strong, and, and even though they lost that LSU game, he was the guy that put him in position to have the, the chance to win. Had his sixth 20-plus point game in the last seven uh, games, and uh, and he's a guy that I think matches up well with Grant Williams. Uh, I actually pulled up the story um, that I wrote last year, uh, if I can find it now. Where were you writing? Last um, at, at SEC Country, I had been. <laughs> I had to find this on like a, another random website since all of that has disappeared from the internet. But thing of note from that uh, the game in Knoxville last year, and we've talked about it a little bit. How much of an impact PJ had before he cramped up and missed basically the last several minutes of the game. In 23 minutes that he was on the floor in Knoxville, PJ Washington. He made six of eight shots. He had 13 points, three rebounds, three steals, and two blocks. And he held Grant Williams to six points and four rebounds. And this is what Grant Williams, who knows that he and P.J. know each other well, Grant Williams said after that game, he shut me down. He was in my head a little bit. Um, and then he got a left leg cramp and basically uh, missed the last 12 minutes of the game. And... Uh, Grant Williams had 10 points in that stretch after PJ left. Three of those were uh, three layups and a dunk. Um, so it was kind of kind of over with. Um, and Cal said we had no basically we had no chance uh, when PJ Washington went out of that game. So um, you know if 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 we see PJ Washington the the PJ Washington we've seen the last seven games if we see the PJ Washington we saw for those 23 minutes before he cramped up in Knoxville last year. Then, you know, you know he can outplay Grant Williams, I think, and and if he does that, or n- even neutralizes Grant Williams, I think Kentucky's opportunity to win that game at home uh, goes way up. I think he's gonna, that's going to be the key in both meetings this year, and maybe three meetings between Kentucky and Tennessee, is 
you know, can you get at least a push or something close to it out of the Grant Williams PJ Washington matchup? If so, you know, I think that's the one place where they really, you know, have a, a an opportunity to to do damage. Admiral Schofield as well, but uh, that's the one that I'm I'm keeping an eye on. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, that's that's just so big, and I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast. I think you and I have kind of gone back and forth. Just well, I think if I'm remembering right, it was when we were waiting on interviews after that LSU game when we were talking about this. But the matchup for Kentucky Bigs against Tennessee, I feel like, is a little bit better than they are against LSU or Duke. Now, obviously, you know those teams are really talented, but they have guys that give Kentucky big men problems. And obviously, Grant Williams is going to get his, but he's not. You know, he doesn't pose the same issues where there's absolutely no defense for him. If that makes sense, like you're not stopping Zion when he gets going. A Nas Reed in certain situations. And if he's hitting the threes, there's not a ton you could do. But um, specifically with Reed Travis, I feel like he'll be able to be more of a impactful defender in this Tennessee matchup than he had been in the LSU and Duke games and other games where there are big, athletic, long bigs. Because Tennessee, you know, they're they're kind of dependent on guys that are a little bit undersized and kind of use grit and determination more than athleticism and you know, like shooting ability. Yeah, I mean the biggest thing is length. I mean, now they do have Kyle Alexander. Yes, he's six eleven, uh, and he's given them something. But the guys they really lean on um, are Admiral Schofield, who's six foot six, now six six two forty one, super jacked, um, and he's from Zion, Illinois. So you know, maybe there's something to that. But uh, Grant Williams is six seven two thirty five. So I mean, they're both muscle-bound dudes, and they get the most out of their bodies, but they're 6'6 six, six, and 6'7, six, as opposed to LSU had a bunch of 6'9 and 6'10, six, 6'11 six, guys uh, with long arms, and that's, you know, that length causes problems. Um, Zion was just a different, a- I mean, he's just a different animal all the way around, but but yeah, it's a different, it's, it's a different kind of matchup. This is more uh, bully ball, and you know, I think Kentucky sets up pretty well actually against that, as as you mentioned. I, I with Reed Travis uh, and PJ Washington, and and maybe you throw Nick Richards in there at times, but especially those starting two big guys, uh, I, I I like their chances pretty well. I mean, I've always I've said now for a couple of weeks, like I actually I feel pretty good about Kentucky's chance to beat Tennessee in the home game. I feel like these teams are going to split uh, each each team winning its home game. Um, I kind of almost feel more like that is the case um, after Kentucky lost to LSU because I do think they're going to be mad. Uh, I do think that it's hard for a team that, even with some veterans, relies on so many freshmen uh, to win 10 games in a row, have some games where you blew big leads but but held on and still won, um, to not get a little overconfident and also not to start thinking like, well, it doesn't matter if we have these lulls because we always finish the deal. Well, you finally didn't. And so you have this loss, kind of sour taste, and kind of a wake-up call that like every now and then you're maybe not talented enough to you know race out to a lead, blow it, and still hold on to win or fall in a hole and come roaring back. Uh, sometimes you got to play a full game. And I, if ever there was a time where these guys would be aware of that, would be coming off a loss to LSU and going into a game – where you know you're playing the number one team in the country. 
what do you think of, and this is just a theory that I was mainly after the LSU game, is there a situ- is this a situation where maybe Calipari, you know, early earlier in the season we kind of talked about changing starting lineups, and this isn't that, but P.J. Washington and E.J. Montgomery have kind of been subbing in and out for each other. I don't think feel like they've been on the floor a ton together. But is that, a, is that a combination that maybe Calipari needs to get more comfortable with, or is it a situation where those guys don't fit together in instances? Because, and it, I feel like it varies week to week to a certain extent, but lately, when you're going against length like LSU, it would you feel like it would be beneficial to have EJ on the floor more. And the only way I think to really do that is for him to start picking away at some of Reed's minutes, considering how dominant PJ has been. Yeah, I mean, right now the problem is, you know, unless you move PJ to be the uh, small ball five, like I, I think EJ and PJ are both stretch fours, um, and Reed is more of that anchor uh, down in the middle, um, although he was shooting threes for some reason in the last game. You made uh, one. I don't, yeah, I, don't, I just don't think that's their best bet. But I... I uh, I don't know. I think I think that's tough because of that. You know, I think, and PJ is a, is a you know, relatively rugged physical guy, but like he's nowhere near as physical and imposing physically as Reed Travis is. And so if you know they sort of balance each other out, if you have uh, EJ Montgomery in there, he's not very physical at all. I mean, he's a wiry freshman who's kind of living off athleticism and. Um, you know, length, but I, uh, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one because I think you're right. I think they do have to find more minutes for EJ Montgomery, but to me, they have to almost come at the expense of PJ. And that's even, yeah, uh, that's... that's even, you know, less exciting of a proposition when PJ is playing well, like it's easier to get, um, EJ those minutes if PJ struggling or if PJ is in foul trouble. Now the last two games, PJ has been in foul trouble. Um, but I think they'd much prefer he not be and, and stay on the floor. I think they'd love to get 30-plus minutes out of P.J. every single night. Yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to solve here is, you know, get E.J. more minutes, and but the only way currently to construct that is when P.J.'s out and you don't want him out because he's been so great lately. Um, we're going to wrap coming up here in a second. I wanna, I've want i looked at uh, Tennessee's schedule most recently on this 19-game winning streak. And listen, I'm not trying to knock a 19-game winning streak uh, but, but some people have raised some questions about it, about how impressive it actually is, even though all 19-game winning streaks are impressive. But before that, uh, I do want to tell you guys about Bird Sheet Metal. If you need metal roofing or siding for a residential or agricultural project, go direct to where it's made. That's Bird Sheet Metal. They've got classic rig panels cut to order with a 40-year warranty in 15 colors plus galvalume and economy grade with all the trim and accessories to match. You can call 859-485-1925 or check out birchsheetmetal.com. That's B-U-R-C-H, sheetmetal.com. They've also got bubble insulation, permafelt, sliding door tracks, and aluminum frame rails. Birch Sheet Metal is located at 13113 Apex Drive in Walton, Kentucky. Give them a call, 859-485-1928, or check out birchsheetmetal.com. Don't pay lumberyard prices for metal. Go direct to where it's made. You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. When you're looking through this this Tennessee win streak, Kyle, I don't know how much you've looked at, and I'm going to look up the tweet. Uh, our buddy Derek Terry of the Catsballs had some net rankings for the teams they've beat after Gonzaga. And 
I mean, you can kind of quibble, but I, I honestly don't know who the de- best team they've beaten since Gonzaga is. I guess at Florida is probably maybe it. They beat South Carolina, but that I mean they beat Alabama, but that was at home. So yeah, I mean I, it's yeah, I mean it's a 19 game winning streak, so you're not going to knock it. But you know what I'm saying? Like you kind of understand what I'm getting at. Yeah, I mean they haven't played an LSU in there. Um, you know, Gonzaga is a huge one, but yeah, I mean after that it's you know Memphis, Florida twice. You know Florida's not that impressive. Arkansas. Um, yeah, and I have not in the top fifty in Ken Palm. Alabama's barely in the top fifty in Ken Palm. Yeah, that's what I have. Florida's thirty eighth. I have Derek's I mean, tweet up that there were he went through the Ken Palm rankings for the teams they played, and the highest rate Ken, ranked Ken Palm team is Florida. So technically, if you're going by Ken Palm's rankings, floor at Florida the win is the best one, and they're thirty eighth uh, team in the country. So Kentucky seventh. This is obviously going to be their their biggest matchup since the calendar turned over to 2019. Well, and the other, you know, you know, Ken Palm's computer's not, uh, you know, the the gospel here, but they're number one in the AP poll. They're number five in Ken Palm, and that's largely because it's like you know you got Louisville, uh, and you got Gonzaga, you know, all bef- all by December 9th, and since December 9th, that's it. You know, mm-hmm. the two wins against Florida are your only two top, <clears throat> excuse me, top 40 wins. So, you know, I think I think it's valid to say, like, okay, you know, plenty of people play weak schedules and don't win them all. So it's not insignificant that they would, um, you know, that they've gotten the job done. But Vanderbilt, which is a horrible team, and which Kentucky a week later smashed, uh, took them to overtime. Um, should have won. <laughs> should yeah yeah I mean should have won in regulation. Alabama, the game before that, just about had them beat. I mean led a on you know led in Knoxville late uh, and won and and Tennessee only won that game by three at home. Um, so there's you know it's not like you can't you look at these guys and say they look impenetrable. Um, even the Memphis game and Memphis not very good. They gave up ninety two points, yeah. one hundred and two to ninety two. You just say that about Memphis because you're jealous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I think Kentucky is going to win the home game and lose in Knoxville. I think that's fair. Um, you know, I, I think they're pretty close. Certainly, much closer than I think some people that have fallen in love with Tennessee would believe right now. Um, but it's going to be a, I mean, it would be a very difficult game. I mean, Tennessee is very good to see a lot of these same guys, certainly the same, same starring players, uh, took it to, to Kentucky twice last year. Um, and Kentucky got the revenge in the SEC tournament title game, but you know, that wasn't without a scare too. I mean, Kentucky built up a lead in that game and then Tennessee came roaring back. So very good team of note. They are number two nationally in offensive efficiency. So uh, it's a challenge. I mean, they, they put up some big numbers, and they, they, as I said, 102 points against Memphis, scored 106 against Arkansas in a blowout win. In a four-game stretch, they had 88, 83, 293, and yeah. um, they can put up points. They're only 40 
defensive efficiency, but uh, they're fifth nationally in two-point percentage, sixth in free throw percentage, third in block offensive block percentage, which means they don't get their shot blocked. Uh, they're and then they're top on the the flip side of that of all three of those categories. They're top ten nationally. They're top. They're tenth in two-point percentage defense. They're fourth in. Well, I guess it doesn't really. That's not anything they're doing, but a shot. Uh, 63% from the free throw line. And then they're uh, sixth in defensive, uh, which means they're blocking a lot of shots. So um, it's a good team. Uh, I think one area where Kentucky can really impose its will in this game, and we talked about the fact that Tennessee had elite length across the board, like some of the teams that have given Kentucky trouble, just rebounding in general. Uh, Tennessee's 250. In, uh, in defensive rebounding percentage. So that is one place where I feel like Kentucky's really got to exploit. Like, okay, you're not that big and tall and wide, but you're not that big and tall. We can out jump you, uh, be in better position, uh, and crash the glass. I mean, I think that's, that'll be something, too, that they're, when you talk about fires being lit. Also, keep an eye on Jordan Bone, who's kind of flown under the radar, but is having a great year for. Tennessee and the the recent struggles of Aston Higgins will be interesting to see how that matchup progresses in this game. Um, so there's a lot of he things. actually leads the league in assists. Well, there you go. That's very important. Aston Higgins will be tasked with guarding him, and well, we we'll only know for sure if Aston Higgins is going to guard Jordan Bone if John Calipari says that Higgins is not going to guard Jordan Bone. Like last week when um some different stuff. Yeah, when, when Cal said that yeah, we're gonna be doing some different stuff against Tremont Waters and then Hagen's Although it, it played out that way because well, yeah, Ashton but, got in foul trouble so ended up defending him more often than uh than Ashton Hagen. Well, if the plan was for Ashton Hagen's to get in foul trouble, then that was a really stupid plan. But anyway It was a bad plan. Um all right, uh coming up next, we we are gonna end this podcast, but stay tuned. Don't don't go away. After we give you all the how our social media and stuff, because we have a special treat, and it is some audio from that interview that Kyle had with Ellen Calipari, um, talking about John Calipari, and you'll be able to hear her laugh, which was just amusing because she did a lot when she's talking about her roommate. Um, Kyle and I will be covering Kentucky versus Tennessee, as you would imagine. I think I will be at Game Day at Memorial Coliseum on Saturday morning. On Friday, as you're listening to this, John Calipari should have a press conference, and we should be talking to some players as well. Kyle and I will be covering all that, um, so stay tuned to my social media. I'm at Curtis Birch, B-U-R-C-H. I'll have interviews posted. Kyle will probably live-tweet the press conference like he normally does. You can follow him at... Kyle Tucker, or A-T-H. And be sure to read Ellen the Ellen Calipari profile on The Athletic. Follow us on social... At Locked On UK. Find us on Facebook. Just search Locked On Kentucky. Got a couple of reviews. We saw those guys. We're going to read them next week. So thanks for leaving the reviews, leaving the high stars. Those really help in the rankings. Please subscribe, rate, review, and then most importantly, share with somebody else who would enjoy. Shout out again to the Financialist for sponsoring this edition of the show. Give Rick a call if you got a small business and are interested in how you can get in better accounting shape. 859-296-9814. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Don't go away. Ellen Kyle is coming. You 
are Locked On Kentucky. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell Alexa or Google to play podcasts Locked On. Don't worry, I won't finish. You get the idea. I, I count, I think, ten pictures that include the, the garbage cans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. It's a continuing saga now. What, start, what started that? I don't even that? know why I started that either. Yeah. I think just to... I don't know. I, I think a lot of things I started in, like, response maybe to something the girls would say or maybe retaliation for something they had say, said right. because I otherwise had no voice right. in a comeback to what they were saying. Yeah. So, and of course, the garbage cans have everything to do with my roommate right (laughs) what he does and does not do i was gonna say is that the chore that he most neglects of all oh no okay no No. and he doesn't even put the bags of garbage in the garbage cans to take them down no i do everything (laughs) he does one thing and he does it really well but just the coaching, you mean? You don't mean you're not exactly. talking about no, chores. Nothing in okay. the house, no. <laughs> no, clearly, which is why I posted. He doesn't bring in firewood. He, I mean, he doesn't do anything. Right. Doesn't shovel the snow. 